My Life as a Celebrity Lookalike is the real life telling of Stephen Sims' journey of looking like Jonah Hill from 2007 to 2010. This podcast has been created to share the unique story of looking like a celebrity lookalike. In no way has this podcast been created to disparage, humiliate, or destroy Jonah Hill. Welcome back to my life as a celebrity lookalike. I am Steven Sims, along with the wonderful Joshua Larkin. Hi, Josh. Hello, Steven. If you call me Joshua, I'm going to retaliate with the Steven. But it's good to be back, brother. Good to be back in the saddle. We are here for episode seven of my life as a celebrity lookalike. But you know that because you've probably listened to six episodes. So thank you so much for the support, the likes. Uh, anyway, we are back. This is the show that we talk about what it's like to look like a celebrity lookalike. And specifically, we talk about what my life was like as a celebrity lookalike from 2007 to 2010. And today we are talking, you know, we, we, we have this is our second to the last episode. We have eight episodes that we have been, uh, I guess, budgeted for, greenlit for, so to speak. Right, Josh? Yes, this is uh, the penultimate episode, or in the Jonah Hill universe, the penis ultimate episode. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, I always have a theory that the second to the last episode of a season is always better than the season finale. So let's give them a good one, Josh. So just to recap, uh, you know, we talked in the first episode, first two episodes, how I moved to L.A. I looked like Jonah Hill. I teamed up with Dylan Stern and Michael Roach. We made a movie called Destroying Jonah Hill, just a short film. Uh, let's be clear about that. Uh, I met Jonah Hill. I got hired as his stand-in and body double on Funny People, and then I immediately got fired. And that brings us to about the end of 2008, early 2009, Josh. And before we dive into what I was up to 2009, give us a scoop. What were you doing? I think right around this time is when I had kind of transitioned. I was a bartender for years and years, and this is kind of where I was making the change from bartending into my corporate retail Best Buy lifestyle. This was peak years for the big box, and so that's where I was around this time. Did you know, like at this point, and again, who knows if you remember, but like do you – recall anything with me and looking like Jonah Hill? Like, I mean, if maybe you can't remember the exact timeline, but like, you know, well, my timeline is that I bought a computer when George Bush gave us $600. So that's when I got Facebook. That's how I know right around when I actually got Facebook and then started to reach out and connect with people shortly thereafter and i don't know exactly where you and i reconnected i don't know exactly how that even happened i'm not 100 percent sure either i mean like we said when we first started the podcast we connected but we didn't really reconnect until 2020 um but you did at some point discover that i was looking like jonah hill who we have i have to say and in, in 2009 was pretty fucking popular I mean, this is already, we're talking like a year, two years after Superbad, and people knew who he was. So anywhere I went, they thought I was him, 
or thought I was just a silly version of him. But a lot of people really thought I was him. Yeah, and I can believe that because I remember even like my first visual interaction with you where I saw you actually doing work was on the Spike TV as farting guy. And uh, excuse me, Josh, it was farting dude. Oh, I'm sorry. I did not mean to bring class into Spike Television's programming. Um, but when you were farting dude, uh, you still resembled Jonah Hill. So it wasn't like this was a short period of time that it just, you know, sunset, you know, came and you stopped looking like Jonah Hill. This continued for a while. It did. And that's the funny thing, you know, as the podcast airs, people are like, oh, you know, I looked like so-and-so or I have this great story. And I was like, you know, everyone does. But the fucked up part about my story was it went on for four years. Yeah. I got a hat from the Penguins one time because I looked like the coach for a lookalike contest, but it was just a lookalike contest for the players. So they were like, uh, you look like the coach. You can have a hat. And then I was disqualified. <laughs> <laughs> that was a free hat, though. But at 2009, I mean, where I was, you know, you were, you were, you know, you got your new computer, you're working at Best Buy. I was um, still starting out early in the game. Uh, I obviously had some experience as an actor, as a stand in. And by that, I mean, farting dude and getting fired from funny people. But at this point, I really wanted to take my production skills to the next level and not just with work. I mean, I didn't want to be an assistant anymore. Um, but I figured the only way I could really prove that I was more than an assistant and also maybe get some attention from people would be if I make some content that wasn't Jonah Hill related. Uh, and just to prove that it's like, I, I, you know, I didn't do this just, I look like him. I do it because this is what I do. So that particular year we started doing a bunch of sketches and I started doing work at like the IO West and I was writing SNL pitches and my whole goal in 2009 was to get on Saturday Night Live. And you're probably like, well, you lived in LA. Well, it's like, yeah, sure. That doesn't really actually mean shit. Uh, you know, it, 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 I was in LA because that's where I wanted to go. I didn't want to be around snow. I didn't want to be in the East Coast anymore. Um, and in LA, I was taking a class with uh, the late Michael McCarthy, who used to be a writer for SNL. And I was learning the structure of sketch writing. And that was my goal. I wanted to write for SNL. I probably sent them two or three pitch packets. Uh, one sketch that I wrote that um, our former guest and my good friend of mine, Michael Roach, was in was a sketch about, at that time, Vice President Joe Biden <laughs> called <laughs> Biden's Break. And it was about Joe Biden going on spring break. So that's what I wanted to do. And while this was all going on, I would be working my job in Hollywood and I'd be walking down the street with a friend coming back from lunch and paparazzi would start taking photos of me uh talk show with spike firestein interviewed me and you know i think some of them really thought i was jonah hill like the paparazzi that were actually hiding <laughs> i mean some of them i didn't know they were taking pictures of me until friends i have that worked for like perez would like pull them up on getty and be like these aren't jonah hill this is sims yeah you had sent me the one in preparation of this and all the years that we had, you know, talked or not talked. Yeah, I'd never known that you had actually gotten to the level where paparazzi has taken pictures. And there's a beautiful caption underneath it as well, where they refer to your lady friend that you are walking next to. And my first question was, do you even know this woman or is she just somebody passing you at that appropriate time? <laughs> 
uh, it was my friend Lydia. We were walking, you know, again, I don't remember that specific moment when they took the picture. That was one that a friend found. But for example, like the Spike Fire Scene team, they they probably knew I wasn't Jonah Hill, but it was part of the gag. So they catch you on Hollywood Boulevard and they're like, Jonah, Jonah. And I just played into it because I had a friend who was an editor on the show. And around that same time, he's like, dude, like, we're going to put you in the show. Like, this is such a great bit. And like, so I was having fun with still looking like him. And, you know, to answer the question that not Josh is asking, but I'm sure some of the listeners are asking, did I ever use it to, you know, hook up with anyone or, you know, pretend to be him to get into a club or something that like that? No, I, I didn't. Um, Mainly because that wasn't just who I am. I don't give a shit about getting into a club. That's why I never uh, asked that question. <laughs> but yeah, so it was it was a crazy time. And like I said, I was trying to pivot to be a writer. And, you know, the mistake, and I think about this a lot now, Josh, because we've talked, you know, the one theme through this whole series has been, in Allison, again, we bring it up every episode. She talked about it in the first episode being young and not really understanding how to handle a situation like this. And it's not, it goes beyond trying to handle the Jonah Hill situation, but it also goes to like, we did a short film. We should have wrote the feature. Like, why did I pivot to start writing sketch comedy? I should have finished the feature because as you're going to find out on episode eight, I had opportunities to pitch features. And I, my response to that was, well, I got sketches. And they're like, well, we don't, we're making movies. (laughs) (laughs) So <laughs> we don't like, put millions of dollars yeah, in sketches. We don't care about Biden's break. Like we want a movie. So like that could have been the perfect catalyst for getting a destroying Jonah Hill or something made into a feature. But nevertheless, 2009 was an amazing, amazing year uh, for, for reasons beyond anything. But it was so, I, I got my footing in LA really. I mean, I don't know like if you've ever had that experience, Josh, where like you're somewhere, whether if it's a job or a new city or maybe you're dating someone new and like you just hit that point where you're like, oh, this is it. I'm on my stride. And that's what 2009 was. Yeah, I actually think that I was there as well because I had come into, you know, my retail management. You know, I was a manager. I was a video store kid. I worked at video stores like, you know, growing up in high school. And now I was the manager of the the DVDs and the game section and the CDs, like all the media. Uh, And so, yeah, I had my like my house, my kid. 2010 is where it all fell apart. But 2009 was really riding high. Uh, Jonah Hill was obviously uh, just got done filming Funny People, which I was kind of a part of. Uh, but he was also, if you think about it, in the Jonah Hill track of things, this is right before he lost a ton of weight and right before he started doing more serious roles. So really 2009 kind of was like his, I would say his heyday because you know people change when they lose weight and people change when I know because I've lost weight before and I've been a big guy my whole life and you kind of feel like you're like different. I don't know if you've ever had that experience, Josh. Um, I am currently on my way to getting fat. So I'm hoping to have that experience (laughs) as I come back down from the change. But we had kind of talked about that where that was really, you know, he had done some work prior to that, but that was really, you know, his his pinnacle not not well not pinnacle creatively because he's done much better things much more dramatic things but as far as notoriety um and people being aware of him because he i mean making dick jokes is a great way to get people to pay attention to you and 
there weren't a lot of good, funny movies at that time. There was kind of a drought. So it was great to have that kind of reinvigorated comedy through Apatow. And all those guys rose up. And that's still, I think, kind of the period that people associate Jonah to. I think so. And I think that's kind of when you think, you know, like I said, even when I was mistaken for Jonah Hill now or in recent years, it's always like it's not I'm. Oh, you remind me of Jonah Hill from Wolf of Wall Street. It's like, oh, you remind me of Jonah Hill from Superbad and like his comedy days. And that's, so that's the, the Jonah Hill I picture is when I close my eyes, it's either Jonah Hill and fake teeth that I see or Superbad Jonah Hill that I see. So that was uh, what was going on in 2009 for myself and Josh and Jonah Hill. Uh, but as 2009 continued, I ended up getting a message from, I, I mean, a friend, but. Uh, more of an, an acquaintance, uh, Daniel Francesi. Do you know who that is, Josh? I do. I recognize him immediately. He was not somebody that I had known by name, but as soon as I saw the face, I was like, oh, I had one of those old dad moments. I know this guy. In 2008, I started working at World of Wonder as an assistant. In World, I was helping with some of the art galleries that they were hosting uh, in the gallery space on Hollywood Boulevard. And Daniel Francesi, uh, an actor played Damien in Mean Girls, uh, was also in Looking on HBO and uh, did a very fantastic rock opera in 2011 called Jersey Sh- uh, Jersey Shore Sickle, uh, <laughs> which I remember. So I- I've, I've known Daniel for a while, uh, for years now, but I met him in 2008. And, you know, at that time, anyone who I met knew that I was the Jonah Hill lookalike or I was making Destroying Jonah Hill or whatever it was. Because I'm sure I gave them a sticker. And uh, so in June of 2009, I received a Facebook message from Daniel. And it was really nice for him to reach out. And uh, I want to read it right now to you, Josh. It says, I don't know if you have an agent. If you do, they should submit you for this. If you don't, you should submit yourself as unorthodox as that may be. Good luck. And then he pasted a casting breakdown for a movie called Slumdog Virgin. It's a feature film. It's a SAG, low budget, and it lists the producers, the directors, the writers, the casting, start dates, how long you'll film, the location, and the rate, which was SAG, low budget scale. And then it says, submissions are due Thursday... Logline, the 40-year-old virgin who knocked up Sarah Marshall and felt super bad about it. And we're looking to cast Jonah, 18 years old, Caucasian, Jonah Hill lookalike, comedy chops, a must, strong supporting. I don't know that you would go for that. No, that's absolutely perfect. That's that's if you were just to, to create a Stephen Sims pitch book that's exactly what it features that's exactly what you want to see yeah i mean i'm trying to think you know i read this now and i know what it means but i think on june 30th 2009 at 1 11 p.m while i was working as an assistant i don't think i knew what any of this meant because the few auditions i was going on i didn't have an agent and they were usually just kind of like by word of mouth i wasn't looking at casting breakdowns regularly then um but i i remember thinking and i wrote back later that night i wrote back at nine o'clock so i did think about it all day but i don't know before let me just read what i wrote back because i'm curious to what i wrote back 
before I, I haven't read it, should I guess to see what I wrote? I know what I wrote back, but I'm wondering like where my head was. I I think that there's a nervous excitement, but also you've probably got that I'm done with Jonah Hill tinge to it. I think that and also I knowing probably doing the research I did and Googling what this movie might be or probably finding the actual breakdown at that point. I was like, do I really want to do a Apatow parody movie? Like, you know, I was trying to work for the guy. My mind was not straight. So my response uh, eight hours later to Daniel Francesi was, oh, man, that's funny. Sadly, I have no agent. I'm just an unrepped writer who occasionally does some performance. That as well as a stand-in for Jonah Hill before he developed a small hatred for me. Long story, dot, dot, dot. Anyway, thanks so much for sending this over. I just finished a comedy sketch show at the IO West over the weekend and am now independently producing a pilot that I wrote. I just want to work hard on trying to get stuff out there and find someone who would be interested in reading my work and hopefully representing me. But I'll definitely check this out. It's always good to pursue every option. Thanks again, Danny. I hope to see you soon. Steve. That was very cordial. I like that you put over your sketch show and ellipsed him in a message on Facebook where he was just giving you a link. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was I think I said this off off the air. You know, now when I get messages from people, no one's, you know, or if I message someone with something someone that's coming up, whether if it's a producing gig or an acting gig, I'm the guy that writes back with like the one lines now, but they write back with these big paragraphs. But my response was actually better than I thought. I thought the original response was like, oh, no, thanks. I don't want to do this shit. But it, you know, besides pitching myself as a writer, which I, I wasn't at the time. Um, well, you, I, yeah. you did your sketch show and were working on a pilot. Is this pilot what would become the three extremes? Is that what this pilot is in reference to? No, the three extremes came in 2010. That Sophia Zalon wrote that. Uh, this pilot was something that never made it to, and when I say air, it never made it really to the web because it was so bad. It was a sketch show called The Men's Room that I co-created. I was, I guess, writing, but I wasn't getting paid to write is what I'm saying. Yeah, you were, a, you were an unrepped, unpaid, unproduced, unpublished, unwritten writer. Yeah, I was an assistant. you could have made it a great assistant to a writer so after that response uh you know i I say that how i'm looking to get representation and blah 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 and then daniel responds with this is the kind of thing that might get you one best of luck and what he meant by that josh was just by going on this audition and letting more people know who i was as a as a writer or as an actor or as a producer or as whoever, just using the Jonah Hill look to be like, I'm Steven Sims and this is what I'm doing was a much easier way to get in with an agent versus sending my pitch packets all over town and getting thrown into the trash. And that advice that he gave me on July 1st, 2009, this is the kind of thing that might get you one best of luck was some of the best advice that was ever given to me. And I've spoken to Danny several times since then. We've worked together on a couple projects and I've thanked him numerous times. And I told Josh, it would have been great to have him on the podcast, but thanking him on here would have been nice. But it's really just, you know, 
we have a conversation later in this in this post uh, a year later, and I thank him again. It was the DVD was coming out of the movie, and we'll get all to that. And all he says is, "Thanks, so glad to hear it. I wish you the best. Pay it forward." And he's right; like he wasn't doing this to. He just was. That's what we do in the industry. You pay it forward, and <laughs> that was that advice was so great because I ended up I did get an agent. I got an agent and a manager because of this movie, and it didn't change my career, you know, by any means. But it, he was right. And that's how a lot of it goes is you get in front of people or you know somebody who knows somebody and they float something your way. Almost everybody I know, even unrelated to Hollywood and corporate life and everything, gets a job at some point in time because their friend recommends them or refers them or tosses some information their way. You never feel guilty about that. We all do it. And it makes the best out of things sometimes. Yeah, it does. And it was nice for him to do that and to think of me. And, you know, really to this day, I wonder who could have played Jonah in the 41 year old virgin who knocked up Sarah Marshall and felt super bad about it. Originally called Slumdog Virgin. But I did, in fact, go on the audition. I emailed them as unorthodox as it was at the time. Uh, I emailed them and said, I'm an unwrapped actor, but I look like Jonah Hill. I got comedy chops, and with a shaved face, I can play 18. <laughs> and I went in, and you know, the funniest thing about this audition was you know, there was always so stressful when I would audition because you know, you're an assistant, you're working on someone's desk, you're, you're tethered to that job all day, but then you're trying to take your lunch to go on an audition. And it's just so stressful because you, you just have a million things going on. And I get to this audition and I go in and there's a wait, you know, like the, like the, like the waiting room area. And it literally was a scene that we wrote for destroying Jonah Hill that we talked about in episode three or two, I believe. But it was a scene that we wrote that we never filmed. And it was me waiting to audition and sitting in a room with a bunch of other Jonah Hill lookalikes of all shapes and sizes and silliness. And it was like, you know, you say that I'm the only one that looked like Jonah Hill. Well, sure, I have the ability to look pretty much just like him in Superbad. But these guys were pretty damn good, too. Yeah, and just a room full of room full, like, full. bizarro world curly headed dudes. Yeah, all just like, so I go into the audition and, and, you know, I didn't do a lot of auditions then. Like I said, the acting that I got was usually like, hey, we Mansers, they didn't have you audition. They based it off your look because you didn't have to say anything. You just farted in someone's face. At least that's what I did. Yeah, and that's, that's what I thought is you hadn't really, as far as I know, between doing the actual funny people work and this, there wasn't any auditions, were there? No, there wasn't because I wasn't really pursuing the acting road. It wasn't until getting an agent and a manager in 2010 that I went down that avenue and that led to other stuff. Um, but no, it, it was so I, I wasn't. So yeah, you're exactly right because this probably was one of my first auditions in LA, which is nerve wracking, but also like a year or two later when I was auditioning, I was terrible at it. I was always terrible at it. I'm probably still terrible at it. And I don't know what it was, but I went into this audition and I fucking tanked it. I mean, it was terrible. And the the director, Craig Moss, was there, uh, the producers, casting team. I went in and I just tanked. And that's all I remember is just being so bad. And in my mind, it's like when you take a test and you're like, oh, I know I failed that test. I was like, wow, that was bad. But 
did you read an assigned or did you have something else that you auditioned with or what did the actual process look like once you got in there? I mean, there was, there was sides that I had to read from the movie and I had to just like a standard audition, did it to tape in the room with a casting director, but I was never really great at like now, if I went on an audition, I would go in knowing that those sides inside and out. That day, I probably went and I was probably reading from the paper. You know, I just didn't prepare the right way. I just didn't know how to prepare, I guess, or didn't care enough to. Pre- I probably didn't care enough to be honest with you, because I was a writer, Josh. I was trying like, to rep as a writer. <laughs> I'm an unrep writer. It just happens to look like this guy. Yeah. So I, I did a terrible job, but I remember mentioning on episode three or four when we had Dylan and Roach on that we made a. I think it was episode four. We made a bunch of DVDs. And then I left one in my car and there was like one last DVD in my car when, by the time 2009 rolled around. So I was always like, whatever, you never know who's going to want this one DVD or it was like in my car for whatever reason. So as I bombed the audition for this movie, I was leaving and I was like, hey, I just want to give you guys this. This is the movie I made last year. Give you a little context into just my mannerisms and how I look like Jonah Hill, blah, blah, blah. And I guess part of me was like, hopefully that DVD gets them to like they watch it and they want to work with me because I just did a terrible fucking audition. And I think that's what happened because they called me (laughs) that night or two nights later and they asked me to come in and read again. And I said, no, (laughs) (laughs) just flat out. No, thank you. I I think it's because at that point I had a couple days to think about it and I know I did bad at the audition and I was very much like, this is probably like a sign, like you don't want to make fun of Apatow. I probably knew more about the movie at the time. I I wanted to write. I didn't want to really act. I didn't want to do the Jonah Hill thing. So when the casting director calls and says, the director would like to see you again, my response was, you know, I thought about it, but no thanks. Movies aren't for me. Yeah, I I don't want to make a straight to DVD movie because I'm an unrepped writer. I'm a book guy now. Yeah, I'm paying three hundred dollars for a IO sketch comedy class. I don't need to. (laughs) I don't need to be a part of this. Pay me money? How dare you? No, thank you. So, I think that's where we're going to leave this episode because I really would love to dive into episode eight uh, with our special guest Austin Scott who is uh, an actor and, and a very impressive uh, television editor. Uh, Austin and I worked together on The 41-Year-Old Virgin. He played McAnal Lovin. Austin's going to be stopping by, and we're going to talk about my experience after I said no to the second audition offer, because I obviously take it at some point, uh, how the director, Craig Moss, courted me at a... At a, at a oh, where did we go? We went somewhere in Studio City. Oh, it was like a Lebanese restaurant. It was delicious. I was going to guess uh, Applebee's. Uh, no, not Applebee's. <laughs> These Hollywood directors know how they know how to get up to my heart. Med- Mediterranean food. <laughs> Took it uh, to Arby's drive through if you really wanted yeah, to win you over. <laughs> exactly. Um, so we're going to have Austin Scott stop by, and we're going to wrap up the podcast next week with episode eight. Episode 8 talks about my time on the 41-year-old virgin who knocked up Sarah Marshall and felt super bad about it and the things that happened after that, which honestly wasn't a whole lot. But we do bring an end to this story, and it will be fun to wrap things up. I would recommend that everybody go this week to their local Walmart, mask up, get out there, get in that bargain bin because it's probably still there. Grab a DVD copy because once the story drops next week, they're going to go up by like a dollar or two on eBay. 
you know, Josh, I'll one up you. You don't have to leave and mask up. If you got Amazon Prime, the 41 year old virgin who knocked up Sarah Marshall and felt super bad about it is available on there for free. Can you get that on 4K yet? I I don't know. Probably. Can we? Probably not. I want to see 20 year old you in 4K. <laughs> Check out the 41 year old virgin who knocked up Sarah Marshall who felt super bad about it. It's a parody movie about Judd Apatow films. Go check it out. Watch it because we're going to talk about it next week with myself, Josh, and our special guest, Austin Scott. All right. Well, I'm Steven Sims, and this is Josh Larkin, and it's My Life as a Celebrity Lookalike, wrapping up episode seven. Josh, you have anything you want to add? No, I appreciate everybody bearing with us, though, through the Penis Ultimate episode, and we finally get to the conclusion, the payoff, episode eight, and hear how you became a Hollywood actor. How I Became a Hollywood Actor with other Hollywood part-time actor, Austin Scott. We'll be back next week. This is my life as a celebrity lookalike. Bye for now. Bye.